I laid all my cards on the table and I, I literally said, I can't explain this. I just feel like I have to do this or I have to at least try the same way I would imagine people are called to the clergy or the military or being a firefighter. It's just, you know, it's going to be hard and you know, you're going to give up a lot, but you, you really want to do it. So curated a designer podcast. Hey, welcome to Curated. Um, Today we have a very exciting guest, um, Allison Harris, who is an architect here in Raleigh. We'll be talking about her surrogate story. Um, I have Danielle Reiser with me, and we're just really excited to get into the details of her story and answer all the questions that we have. So enjoy. But yeah, okay, so you were a surrogate over COVID. Mm-hmm. You decided to use your quarantine wisely and grow a couple of humans. Yes. Yes. Okay. I had, uh, I had a COVID baby, but I did not have to keep it. So, that was nice. <laughs> well, so one, right. I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm so intrigued about. Uh, Allison, yes. I, I have twin boys. So mm-hmm. just, I had a single singleton, I think is what it's called first. And I know you have children of your own and then the, the multiples it's different. So I'm really intrigued by this and the, the process. So I'm really excited to hear about the pregnancy and delivery. Yeah. And so, I, I love talking about birth stories. So yeah, um, same. this is very exciting for me too. Cool. So, okay, let's backtrack. You know, we were all in quarantine, everything was shut down. So I know that you and you and I have talked about this in the past, and this has kind of always been something like an itch you needed to scratch. Yes. Yeah. I had um, always told my friends that if they ever needed someone to care for them, that I'd be happy to do that because I had easy pregnancies with both my kids who are eight and 11. Um, And fortunately for them, they didn't need that. They were able to carry on their own. Um, And so that was just in the back of my mind that that was something that never happened. And then randomly, I was listening to a podcast about a woman who thought that everyone should just donate blood or organs just you know, as like you do jury duty or a random act of kindness. She just thought that was very important. And so the, it was, you know, several episodes long of her reasoning and the matching process and all that stuff. And I had no interest in donating a kidney, but it kind of reignited that desire to give the gift of surrogacy because I had easy pregnancies. It seemed like a wasted talent to only do that twice. And we knew we were done with our kids. And so I contacted an agency and actually got approved and was almost about to start the matching process. And that's when I left Red Hat to join 310. And obviously that was not a good time to pursue surrogacy. You know, you're in a new company. It's a smaller company, architecture-based. So the benefits are not the same as a big tech company. Not saying that 310s are bad, but it's just, it's very different. And I didn't want to do that in my first year. So it just kind of sat on the back burner again. And In the meantime, I was a member of several Facebook groups for surrogacy, just learning all I could, researching. And one of the groups that's more local allows people to post matching profiles saying, hey, I'm a GC, which is short for gestational carrier, looking for IPs, which is short for intended parents, or I'm IPs searching for a GC. So I was randomly scrolling one night, was around Christmas of 2018, I believe. Yeah, 2018. And just happened to click on this profile and 
it was two dads. One of them uh, had gone to NC State, which is where I went. And so we didn't know each other, but we had friends in common. One of them also worked for Red Hat for a time, which again, I didn't know him there, but a shared connection. So we had several friends in common on Facebook. And I just randomly messaged him and said, hey, I saw your profile. I'm interested in matching. If you're interested, just let me know and we can talk. And we had a single video conference between him and his husband and me and my husband. And we all said, yeah, this seems pretty cool. We all get along pretty well. And that was that. We, um, we of course, had to go through lots of steps to make it official with contracts and med clearance and psychological psych evaluations, all that stuff. But we were paired from the beginning. Um, and I never looked at other options for parents. Um, we'd had some stops and starts with the timing because I had to wait longer than they were interested in waiting. And so I think there was a couple of times when they tried to find another surrogate who could transfer sooner and that did not work out. I, and I'm not sure if they just couldn't find anybody or they never told me why they came back to me, but they did. Um, well, before we go further, you have two kids mm -hmm. you mentioned. What are their ages? Josie is eight and Luke is 11. Okay. And then you have I a do. husband. Yeah. So what I'm interested in is just kind of hearing what his thoughts were and how you kind of, I guess he kind of always knew this might've been something you're interested in, but once it resurfaced, you know, is he okay with it? Cause obviously this changes. His yeah. Life too. Um, it took some convincing. He was not on board at first. A lot of husbands are not okay because of they feel like it's weird to carry someone else's kid or they misunderstand and think it's your egg when it's not but that was not his concern his concern was just that undergoing a pregnancy is a big risk and if you're not caring for your own family is that a risk you're willing to take and we talked about it we had several heart-to-hearts and finally I said you know if, if you're not on board I'm not going to do this but this is really really important to me so please take some time to think about it and if you're still not on board we'll stop this process and this was you know, way back when, before I contacted the dads or was matching with anybody. Um, gotcha. And is it before he, you looked into the programs, did you have the initial conversation? Like as soon as you knew that you wanted to do this, did you talk to him first or did you kind of explore to make sure you had all the right information? Probably a little both. I probably did a little bit of groundwork, talked to him. He was like, eh, I don't know. And then I kept doing some research so that I had more information to hopefully address his concerns. And then I laid all my cards on the table and I, I literally said, I can't explain this. I just feel like I have to do this or I have to at least try the same way hmm. I would imagine people are called to the clergy or the military or being a firefighter. It's just, you know, it's going to be hard and you know, you're going to give up a lot, but you, you really want to do it. So, um, and I'm not a religious no. person. <laughs> um, I'm not a religious person, but that's as close as I've ever come to like a spiritual calling, I would have to say. Um, but he thought about it and he was, um, he said, if it's this important to you, then I know you're like a dog with a bone. You're not going to let go. So let's just do it. <laughs> and then what about the kids? They were completely nonplussed. <laughs> um, we kept it from them for a while, just because it's a very long process of you, you do a step and then you wait, and then you do a step and then you wait. And kids don't have a good capacity for waiting, particularly my youngest. If you tell her, 
we're going on vacation in a year, every single day, she'll ask you when's vacation. So I didn't want that weighing on us. Mm-hmm. So, but once we did tell them, they were completely like, okay, this is totally fine. Hmm. I feel like kids have a really great capacity to accept whatever you tell them uh, for better or worse. And so we just said, yeah, this is, you know, I'm, I'm using my, my womb, my stomach to carry someone else's baby. And they made their baby in a lab. They're going to put it in my belly. I will grow it and give it back to them. And um, what was really funny right before the babies were born, I had to take my daughter to the dentist and the hygienist make it small talk. And she asked my daughter, are you excited to be a big sister? Cause I was visibly pregnant at this oh. point. And my daughter says, Oh, they're not for us. <laughs> oh, those, they're not for us. <laughs> and that's great. And the hygienist just looked at me like, what in the world? I said, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a surrogate. And she just said, Oh, okay. And that she didn't need to know after that. Yeah. yeah. So you had twins. Um, did you know that, like, how does that work versus one and two and male and female, like that whole process? Yes. Um, so you can do the general process is called fetal embryo transfer FET, and you can do a single or a double. Most fertility clinics recommend a single because it's safer for everyone involved. That said, a lot of male, male couples want to do a double because that way they're both genetically related to one of the embryos. And that's what we did. Um, if you have, you know, a a mom and a dad or just two moms or just a single parent, they're coming to the table with one set of eggs and one set of sperm either could be donated or from the couple, lots of ways to shake it out. Uh, No pun intended. Um, (laughs) but in this case, so so no matter how you're creating the embryos, they're all from the same genetic pool. Everyone's related equally. Yeah. But in our case, if you have two dads, then only one of them is fertilizing any given egg. Right. And so they chose to make two pools of embryos, same egg donor, two different sperm donors, and then they kept them separate in storage so that they knew which eggs belonged to which dad. And we transferred one of each. Um, of course- you could get unlucky and only one stick. You could get really unlucky and one or both of them split. But uh, yeah, we which were for the very... listeners that would make, you know, triplets mm-hmm. or quadruplets. Mm-hmm. And the numbers that's not what you signed up for. <laughs> no. So we were very fortunate that both stuck, neither split, and we ended up with one boy, one girl one each genetically related to one of the dads. Um, did again, they pick, same. did one dad want a girl and one dad want a boy or they didn't care? They, they actually wanted two boys. Our first transfer was, was two male embryos and that one did not stick. So we did a second transfer, which is very common in IVF to have to do more than one transfer. Um, and the, one of the dads did not have more than one good quality male embryo. So we had they chose to do a good quality female versus a lower quality male. And by that, I mean like the cellular structure, the mm-hmm. way it was splitting prior to freezing, all that technical stuff. Got it. Okay. That's super so, interesting. Science is wild. Mm-hmm. So can you tell, like, was it very obvious, like which baby this one look really? Mm-hmm. 
That's so cute. They, they look very much like each of their dads. Aww. Oh my goodness. Wow. They don't have yeah. favoritism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you discipline okay. your child because they are acting like you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I think all parents do that. You know, when your kid's acting up, it's your son did this mm-hmm. or your daughter, but in this case, they can literally blame each other because yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay, so there's a lot of back and forth, negotiations with the contract, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's stuck, you're pregnant. Um, how are you feeling? Because this is the first time you're carrying two. Yes. So just to let everyone know the timeline, we transferred mid-August of 2020. First transfer was in May, it did not stick. Second transfer was in August, it took. And I... I felt fine. You know, I didn't, I never had morning sickness with either of my, my own kids. And so that's kind of what made it easier to carry again. I didn't have any of that, but all of the symptoms that were based on a physical presence pressing on you, whether it's heartburn or bladder issues or whatever was just sooner and bigger than carrying a single, because obviously you have more baby inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how Daniel, I, literally, I, I literally described it like that to my husband. Like before we knew it was twins, I had already been pregnant with one baby. And I remember I was eight weeks pregnant. It was Monday, Wednesday. We had the doctor's appointment for the first ultrasound. And I just kept saying, this is like double, like, this is more like, that's the only way I could describe. I was like, mm-hmm. it's just everything. I said, I just need to be put in a coma until this baby's born. I was like, mm-hmm. I know we three kids. I'm stopping it here because it was that it's exactly what you're talking about. It's just mm-hmm. more. Yeah. And then sure enough, when we're sitting there and they're like, it's twins. I was like, well, that explains why it was more. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't, you know, in, if you're intuitive and if you kind of know your body, mm-hmm. I think it's just even more extreme. And so, but yeah. that is exactly right. Especially if you've mm-hmm. been pregnant before you can compare it. And so mm-hmm. that's the case you had, so. Yeah. And their, their favorite trick was, um, they were, they were never both head down at the same time. And so one of them would be very head down pressing on cervix or bladder. And the other one is way up high kicking me in the ribs. And I'm oh like, can God. we, can we not settle down? But you too. Yeah. They, they were very active. Um, lots of rolling and flipping. And so, um, how was the process going like to doctor's appointments Were you obviously not able to have anybody with you because of COVID, but, um, yeah. I guess you were keeping, talking to the dads regularly, just giving them updates on how you feel and everything? Yeah. So uh, the way it works is you go to their, the parents fertility clinic for all of your pre-treatment, your transfer and two ultrasounds after you have a confirmation blood test, just to make sure everything looks good. And so they actually allowed one dad at each ultrasound. So they each got to come to one. Great. And then after that, they released me to my local OB for my pregnancy care once everything was confirmed to be healthy on the IVF side. And they were able to FaceTime or attend via phone for all my appointments. Um, They were allowed to attend, I think my level two ultrasound in person, just because that's a longer, it's not invasive. It's still external to the belly. It's just a very involved ultrasound. So they allow people to have an emotional support person for that. Um, Yeah. Otherwise it was just me no husband, no kids, no dads, um, which it's fine. I'm a fairly, uh, stoic or non-emotional person. I don't 
I don't yeah. need my hand held. I don't cry. I'm so I was completely fine with that, but I could understand how that would be very overwhelming for a more emotional person, particularly if it was your first pregnancy to have to go through that during COVID. Yeah. Well, um, and I think that that's your perfect candidate to do surrogacy because the fact that you can keep the emotions out of it. And I think mm-hmm. about that, like no husband, I'm like, would your husband even want to be there? Like, you know, that's a weird dynamic. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, was it good that it was during COVID? Did that help the scenario in a sense? Yeah, because I was just, um, I was very nervous about starting with this in COVID, but one of the dads said, honestly, you're safer because you're not driving as much. You're not going to the movies. You're not going to restaurants. You're not going to concerts. You're just less out and about. You're not going to get the flu. You're not going to get the cold. You're less likely to be in a car accident. So, and you're not missing anything either. Nobody's doing anything that you're yeah. like, Oh, I wish I could go, but I'm pregnant. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. We're all at home. So yeah. with the, the dads live in Charlotte, correct? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, over this time you met on this Facebook group you started chatting, you guys vibed, you go forward. Are you guys becoming friends at this point, late into your pregnancy or how do you guys? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we met in person a few times, uh, prior to COVID because we, we signed our contracts in January and then COVID hit in March and then we transferred in May. So, uh, after COVID, we were very careful to see each other with masks or outside only, but prior to COVID, we met several times, got along really well. And then, you know, we would chat over text or Facebook uh, often. And mostly it was, it was never just, hey, girl, what's going on? But it was always checking in on something or, hey, I got some more vitamins. Can you reimburse me? Blah, 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 that kind of stuff. But they were very responsive, very nice. Um, and, you know, we all follow each other on social media. And I think around 20 weeks, they announced the pregnancy on their Facebook. Oh, that's good. And, um, they came to Raleigh. They gave me a shirt that said, uh, their peas, my pod. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we, we did a little mini photo shoot in the backyard and they posted it to Facebook and uh, they'd been keeping it a hundred percent silent. Not even their parents knew they were doing this because they didn't want to get people's hopes up if it didn't work. Yeah. Um, so everyone was just shocked, uh, that they were doing this and, um, since, and they were, a lot of couples are very private about, they don't want to share the surrogate's name or face, or even that they use the surrogate, but they're, they were completely transparent about the process on their end as well. That's good. So yeah. I literally was wondering what they would say. Like, were the parents like, who's this girl? Like, who's this woman? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I her on Facebook. It's so legit. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. And then I was also keeping it very quiet. Um, outside of my immediate social circle. And so, um, and I, I had had this planned ever since I've even thought about being a surrogate. My Halloween costume was a handmaid. <laughs> and I made my, my husband put on his tux and he was my commander. And so we took pictures of me in the bump and I posted it on Facebook and Instagram. And I said, you know, happy Halloween from of Steven and yeah. Commander Harris, surprise. That's a real baby bump. Surprise two, it's twins. Surprise three, they're not mine. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that and I was like, like yeah. tell me more, it, tell me more. Yeah, that's, that's been, the closest I ever came to break the internet. Oh my God, that <laughs> is hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing it said they're not yours because that automatically goes to Sarah. See, if you were like, they're not his, that would have been 
<laughs> whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. Whole different the internet would have broken. So yeah. Yeah. It's so impressive because I think the the real reason why this is so worthy of an interview is it's a fun story and a great story, but you gave your body and a chunk of your life um, to help other people that didn't have any options to have their own kid mm-hmm. biologically. So um that that's that's super important. And I, I think a lot of people will admire that. I do. Thank you. And it was, it was very important to me to work with two dads. Um, every surrogate is different. You can choose or not choose anybody for any reason. Um, so like some parents really want a surrogate who's as religious as they are. Some, you know, if you're Jewish, you might want a kosher surrogate or a surrogate who keeps kosher rather. Um, but for me, it was very important to work with two dads because they have the most barriers to creating children. So um, so that, that was always my plan. Um, did they have any weird rules for you before we get to like the, the, um, delivery? I was wondering, like, was there anything that you couldn't eat? Cause you mentioned the kosher thing, obviously that wasn't for them, but do you remember any, anything they were particularly like a little bit sensitive to? No, they were really great. They both came into it saying, you've done this before. You're the expert. We trust you. They really just said, follow your doctor's advice. And that was it. So of course the normal things, you know, no sushi, no processed uh, meat, no soft cheeses, but other than that, nothing. Um, The only thing I would say that we were particular about was one of the dads is a pharmacist. And so I would always get his opinion on which specific vitamin do you want me to take? Which specific heartburn medication do you want me to take? Um, But other than that, they were very low key about that stuff. And they pay for everything healthcare related. And then your, I guess, agreed upon fee. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, you have a base compensation and of course every contract is different, but typically you have a base compensation and then you will have an additional fee for multiples. So, all right. So if if your base compensation is X and your multiples add on is Y, if you have twins, it's X plus Y. If you have triplets, it's X plus Y plus Y. Um, and then you have individual fees for things like transfer, med start, because all that stuff, it can pile up before pregnancy. And if you never actually get pregnant, then it's kind of a pain in the butt that you had to do all these drugs. Yeah, the hormones and paid. stuff, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I remember you were saying that was kind of tough. You were feeling kind of crappy with just that. Yeah. Yeah. The IVF hormones were not great. Um, and then you get an allowance for things like, maternity clothes or if I wanted to go get a chiropractor, you know, that would be out of my allowance. They don't pay for that. Um, and then luckily my insurance covered a surrogate pregnancy. So everything was billed to my insurance first and they just reimbursed me for whatever my out-of-pocket costs were. And then they pay for the lawyers, they pay for the genetic screening, everything. Um, so I, I did have to come out of pocket up front for a few things, but they reimbursed me very quickly. So I'm just curious about if you go back to you not feeling great because the IVF. So I know people that have done IVF, but it's people that couldn't get pregnant. So what do you know the difference of how you would react to that process when you were able to get pregnant and like what needs to be done? Is it just to tell your body like are most surrogates that, that they've been pregnant before? Like how does that work the difference? Because I mean, it's usually designed for people that can't get pregnant. Right. So First of all, you cannot be a surrogate unless you have carried your own children. That's um, 
I don't know. You have to have what's called a proven uterus. You're not going to sign up for this if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And it's just an increased risk if you don't know you can carry a baby safely. And the whole underlying principle of surrogacy is mitigating risk. So you're not going to do anything that's extra risky. So um, there's, and there's two halves to IVF. There's the first half, which is all about stimulating your ovaries and retrieving the eggs. So their egg donor did that half. And then I did the half where you're giving yourself hormones to get a good on-ramp to receive an embryo. And then you have to keep taking progesterone once mm -hmm. the embryo is implanted, just to make sure that your body's making the right hormones to support the embryo. And then eventually the uh, placenta kicks in and takes over and then you stop taking the hormones. I don't really understand why you need the progesterone because theoretically when you get pregnant on your own, you're just putting an embryo in there. It's just delivered, delivered differently, but you don't have to trick your body into staying pregnant. So I'm not really sure. It's your why. body naturally produces it. So you kind of explained it because really the process was divided between two people. That's what I was mm -hmm. curious about, but it makes mm -hmm. sense. The other person handled that because mm -hmm. you didn't hate that. You know, I think that's, yeah. I was like, well, why does this not make sense? But mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the process was divided between two yep. people. So the egg donor, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had to do Lupron and progesterone mainly. And then a couple of like single doses of things right before, right after the transfer. Mm. Okay. So you're super pregnant, you know, I guess just take us through when and how it happened, how you're feeling. So we knew as of, I think 20 weeks that I would not go past 18. That's just a general rule for twins, especially for IVF. And uh, I was considered geriatric. So Wait, thanks for that. 18. 18. You mean 38? 38. Yeah. Okay. I literally was like, you're already past that. What do you mean? Yeah, no, no, sorry. <laughs> it was 18, 18 more. Yes. Okay. I could, right. I yeah. I was like doing the math. I'm like, yeah, 38. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't go past 38 um, because of IVF and twins and me being geriatric. So all that was fine. <laughs> um, and then I started having Braxton Hicks really early at like 30, 32 weeks. Um, and then I got into a cycle, what I called false alarm Friday. <laughs> so at week 33, I was at work. I could have sworn my water broke. Um, and so I just said to my boss, like, Hey, I think my water broke. So I'm going to go to the hospital right now. And they're just like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I drove myself to the hospital. I was calling the dads, calling my husband saying I'm on my way, but I'm going to get checked. So don't leave until I tell you I'm getting admitted. So I get there, um, they do an initial test. I think it's like a pH test. They're like, this is not amniotic fluid. But my story was so compelling that they're like, what happened? And it's like, if you really think about it, it's disgusting because my water didn't break. You peed on your I did. I didn't pee myself. It was- Just some liquid, just a liquid. All that I made you take. Yeah, things are just gushing, I guess. And um, they kicked you, and just some, some <laughs> something. water fell out. I don't know. And so <laughs> I, I, I was in the hospital for probably five hours because they just wanted oh, to wow. check every single thing to make sure I hadn't broken my water. Because of course, mm -hmm. at 33 weeks, that'd be a little scary. Mm -hmm. So they sent me home, never got admitted, and then the next Friday, put the kids to bed, eat dinner, sitting there watching TV. 
start having contractions and it's like 20, 30 seconds long, every two or three minutes, we start, we start timing them. We call the hospital. They're like, yep, come on in. So I get up, I take a shower. They completely stop. So I call the hospital. I said, all right, false alarm. I'm not coming in. They finally stop around midnight. We go to bed the following Friday, 35 weeks, same thing again. They start <laughs> sit down, eat dinner, watching TV. They start again every two to three minutes. But this time I learned, okay, take a shower first and then call the hospital. So I, I think they're just excited for the weekend. These were kids. they born on a Friday? Please tell me they were. Cause they were born on Friday. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. Um, so again, false alarm, you know, and, and again, each time this happens, you know, we're having my mom come to the house because they have to, she has to stay with the kids. And so she's coming over, she's all excited. And then, oh, sorry, go back home again. So then week 36, um, yeah, because my, my weeks were on, on a Thursday. So exactly 36 weeks, I'm laying there, I'm watching TV and my water breaks and it is a lot. Yeah. You know, my, my water broke with my son and it was, it was a little trickle. It wasn't a big deal. It just, it would not stop gushing. I mean, it is, I hope no one listening is disgusted by this, but we're going to get TMI. So, um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sitting on the couch. It just will not stop. So I go to the bathroom. I completely soak my pants. My husband brings me another pair of pants. I soak through those. <laughs> so me and Danielle are both C-section uh, births. So we have no idea how this yeah. whole thing goes. It's, well, it's like a with Anna Camden and it was enough to where you knew you didn't pee yourself, but mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to where Anna took a shower. When you get to the hospital, they did that pH test and they're like, your water didn't break. I'm like, yes, it did. But yeah. didn't put it together that I had taken a shower and all of that. But oh, anyway, yeah. it's not gushing, but I would imagine with the twins that it would. I mean, yeah. it, so two pairs of pants. Yeah. And so eventually I just sat in my bathtub, like yeah. empty. Cause I was like, I'm tired of changing. I'm just going to sit in the bathtub and underwear and just let it, whatever. So, um, we call the hospital and she's like, yep, that sounds like your water really did break. So come on in. So we call the dads and, um, they were actually supposed to come see me that weekend and, Basically, they were going to move to Raleigh and just stay in a hotel for two weeks so that if I went into labor in the middle of the night, they wouldn't have to, you know, pack up the dogs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then last minute they said, well, actually we can't come because a dear friend just passed away. I'm helping plan the funeral. Love you. Mean it. I'll see you Monday. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, then I called them. I'm like, you're not going to plan that funeral. Get in the car now because my water is gushing. Get your butt to the hospital. So they start driving, get on the road around 11 PM. They get to the hospital around 1 AM. And when I get admitted, I'm still gushing. Like, it's not like, Oh, your water had broken my water. It was still breaking. And the midwife is like, are you trying to put in a pool? Like, stop it. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're and, like, where is it all coming from? And you're deflating like a balloon. <laughs> and I was still huge. And they, they said only one of them broke their water. Like the other one, had to break during C-sections. Like it was just a lot. Um, so, um, so they get there around one in the morning, they come straight to my room. We're chit chatting, you know, I'm having contractions, but nothing really crazy. Um, so they were fortunate enough to get a room down the hall. So we all try to get some sleep. Um, which of course, you know, I've got my blood pressure cuff constantly going off and my blood pressure had been a little high. So they were monitoring that constantly. I didn't get great sleep, but around four 35 in the morning, I woke up and I'm like, okay, 
these are some contractions. Let's really, uh, let's get going. And so I woke up and of course they won't let me eat anything. Mm-hmm. Won't let me drink anything. So my last meal and drink was dinner on Friday, Thursday night. Um, and the air is hospital so dry. I'm just miserable. So just keep a pin in that, that I'm oh. deprived of water and food. <laughs> Not even so, ice. Uh, ice chips, but that's, yeah. you know, right. mm-hmm. and so, um, I, you know, I'm trying different birthing positions. I'm trying the ball. They're just not dilating like we want to. Um, and we knew baby a, which is the boy was head down and fairly low baby B the girl was high up in my stomach and sideways. And so it was always this thing of, you know, even if you deliver him vaginally, is she going to flip? Is she going to come out the right way? It was always this. I know you say you want vaginal, but just don't hold your breath. Yeah. Um, so I keep, keep laboring, keep laboring, nothing's happening. And they say, well, we think he's going to be head down. He'll be fine. But if we have to turn her after he comes out, you're not going to like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's very, they have to put their whole hand up inside yeah. your uterus and AKA turn the baby. Get an epidural. <laughs> yeah. And so I did not want an epidural, but they said, you're going to want it for that. So I said, fine, I don't want it. But if it's, if it'll help her get out, then fine. Yeah. So they did the epidural and that was the worst thing I have ever done in my life. I do not understand why people ask for that. Oh, I mean, everyone's <laughs> I was like, I don't want an epidural. And then 12 hours of laboring. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, I'll take it. But I tried 12 hours. They had to do it twice to me. They missed the first time. He's oh like, do you God. feel it left, right, or center? I'm like, mm, it's off to the left. He's like, oh. Oh, <laughs> no. <feel> like <laughs> yeah. So, and I had my son with no epidural. And then I had my daughter. That was just a spinal block. That was a one-time shot. That's not a full epidural. That's right. actually a good point. To my recollection, one of your kids was a C-section and one was vaginal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, You'd my first was vaginal. First. I have a one of each, and yeah, like I said, my daughter was she was a scheduled C-section um, for medical reasons, and so she just had a one-time spinal block, not an epidural where they actually insert the catheter, which takes a lot longer than a spinal block. So, like I said, yeah. it was miserable. I hated it. Um, it anyway, and I, I know everyone's different, but that was the worst part of everything yeah. was getting the epidural. Um, so it felt really weird to be, I could see contractions on the monitor, but I couldn't feel anything. It felt like I was cheating almost. It was too easy. And so they're trying to help me in different positions on the ball and he's still not getting head down. I'm not dilating past seven. Um, and finally the OB says like, you know, I think if you should listen to your body and listen to these babies, if they were going to come out vaginally, he'd be lower down by now. He's just sitting there. Again, we still don't know that she's going to flip. Um, they were very hesitant to give me Pitocin to increase contractions because I had a, a previous C-section and um, he stepped out. And so it was just me, my husband and the dads. And we had a, a talk. And I said, we can talk around this. I could try to labor for a couple more hours and then, then have a C-section or we could just have a C-section now. And I think that's going to be the safest way for these babies. And the, the vaginal delivery was just a preference. It had nothing to do with their safety. It was all about my wants and that's not why we're here. So, um, 
we consider. Does that increase your fee or just the hospital bills? It increased the hospital bills, but not my fee. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if I'd been smart, I would have added a fee for that, but I was going to say, cause you're getting major surgery. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't think of that. I'm so that they even let you consider having them vaginally because especially because the chances, but since you had a C-section prior, I mean, that was just, that's very complicated. So it's interesting that the hospital was even letting you, cause they were definitely recommending. Yeah. I, I think the reason it happened was because I go to a practice that is OBs and midwives. And so they're just a lot more woman centered and natural centered. Obviously, if you want a fully medicated C-section, they're more than capable of doing that, but, um, their goal is to support whatever birth you want. And so, um, I was a good candidate for it. So they said, well, let's you try. We're not going to, yeah. you know, guarantee it, but so, so they let me try. Um, and I will say the OB that I was, that was on call that day, he was, he was really great. He always explained things and made me feel supported, but not pushed. But I, I mean, he did a really good job and convincing me to get the C-section because that is what we needed to happen. And so um, the downside was I consented to the C-section, but they had to wait for an OR. And so I just had to sit there for like another hour and a half mm-hmm. um, dreading the C-section because I knew what was coming in terms of recovery. Um, so they finally get everyone gowned up and they let my husband into the OR with me. Cause like I'd only have one person in the OR and then both dads were immediately outside in a little viewing area. So I, I think they could kind of see what was going on, but not really. And so, um, they got me to the OR, they topped off my epidural, which was again, awful. Um, it's supposed to numb you up to rough your sternum. I was numb up to my chin. He was, yeah. uh, the anesthetist was a little heavy handed, which made it difficult to breathe. Um, I felt like my hands were going numb. So they told me to constantly, you know, wiggle and clench my fingers. And if I couldn't do that anymore to scream because they needed to like do something immediately to dial it back. Um, so it felt like, it felt like I had, a, yeah, it was very stressful. It felt like I had a weight on my chest. I couldn't breathe and it was making me sleepy. And so the nurse, it was like, Hey, wake up, breathe. I need you to breathe. So I was like, okay, take a big deep breath. And I'd kind of oh my uh, go to sleep again. And even breathe it, with regardless. So I can imagine the extra weight yeah. on your chest. Cause it's already like that. Oh yeah. yeah. I guess and you're holding it up almost daily, mm-hmm. not realizing how much mm-hmm. effort you're doing it until you're drugged. And then you're like, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, when you're pregnant, you never lie flat on your back. You're always a little bit elevated because the baby's press on your lungs and you're constantly congested. You're just full of snot all the time. (laughs) And so I'm laying on my back, the anesthesia is crushing me. My face is completely congested. So I'm breathing through my mouth, which makes me even more thirsty. The air is dry. No, this is where the water comes back. Yeah. I keep asking, when can I have water? And you're like, not now. Okay. But when can I have water? Not now. Yes. But water, I literally just would not stop asking. And cause I was I guess enough out of it that I wasn't lucid hundred percent. Um, so anyway, so they make the incision and the doctor comments, it's a really good thing. We decided to do a C-section because your uterus is paper thin. And so, so there's a it very good ruptured. chance that it yeah. would have ruptured had we tried to push. Um, 
So again, we had no way of knowing that, but. Is this at 36 weeks you said? 36 in a day was when they were born. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting though, when they say, you know, when you push and you push and you labor and it's like, no one wants a cesarean that I know of. It's like, you try to do that, but there's always reason, you know, a umbilical cord is wrapped around. It's like, and they're like, mm-hmm. if we would have done it one more time, uh, my friend had a, it was a scheduled C-section, but it was interesting because they kept trying to turn her and like, get her ready. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's not working. So we're just going to stop. Found out it was the umbilical cord. It's like, mm-hmm. you just never know. You never know. You never know what's happened. So that's amazing though, that you guys stopped and did that. Yeah. And so it's funny you say about the cord because um, we, they do the incision, you know, very low. So the baby that would have been born vaginally first is also delivered uh, surgically first. So they get baby A out, healthy boy. They hold him up over the drape, um, wrap him up, immediately whisk him outside. The girl flips head down like a little. Like a champ. Like a champ. I'm like, <laughs> thanks for doing that now. Hey, like, um, she's like, I got more room. <laughs> yeah. So they take her out. She has two knots in her cord, which means she had somehow made a loop and dove through it twice. And it Whoa. was around her neck. So they said, again, she was completely fine. But had we tried to push. That makes me like emotional. Like, uh-huh. that is it, terrifying. She could have compressed her cord. She could have had it around her neck too tight. Like all these things that like she was doing freaking gymnastics in there apparently um so yeah they got her out healthy baby showed me over the drape and then whisked her outside um and then did the the repair or the put everything yeah, back together again long part <laughs> you mean put your organs back into your body mm-hmm. yeah and that. and so you know that all goes fine to get me back to my room and i finally am allowed to have like a saltine cracker big whoop. and you're like but the water yeah i'm like i just i just delivered two humans and i haven't eaten for 24 hours and i get a freaking saltine cracker but i was glad to have it um and then i mean the recovery was fine i, I don't tend to recover well from a c-section because my body just forgets how to pee um which is pretty common after a Same. epidural and I think the stronger the epidural, the longer it takes. And so I had to have a whole parade of catheters, which I won't uh, get too much in de- detail with that, but that was not fun. Um, but uh, what made it easier was they were given a room down the hall for me. So several times a day, you know, either I'd, uh, you know, hobble to their room or they'd roll the babies into my room. So I got to hold them and um, we decided that I would not breastfeed the babies but I would pump and give them colostrum in the hospital and then milk later some surrogates choose to breastfeed just because it's easier than having to do um pumping but we all decided that was not what we wanted to do so I just uh used the hospital pump and then pumped again at home um and you you agreed to one month of pumping or did you go longer okay it was four weeks weeks. basically as long as I was at home I would pump but I said I was not willing to pump when I went back to the office. So, um, so yeah, we, they were your maternity leave. That's interesting. So you only took one month after delivery. Not, not even actually I, um, they were born on a Friday and then I took two weeks fully off and then two weeks, hundred percent work from home. Cause mm. we had, we were back in the office pretty much full time. So, well, I guess you um, didn't have a newborn at home making that harder. <laughs> you were getting some yeah. sleep. Yeah, that's that's what I've been telling everybody is it's so much easier to recover 
when you don't have a baby to take care of. You, you think it's the physical trauma of birth. That's so hard, but it's because you're trying to heal with no sleep. Um, yeah, I was up walking. I think I went jogging at a week and a half post post delivery. Um, yeah, I was working from home after two weeks. I was bored out of my mind. Um, because yeah, you're getting good sleep and you're not distracted. I think another big thing was when you have a newborn and they fall asleep on you, you're tempted to just let the baby nap. And so you don't get up and move. Whereas if you don't have that, you know, you pump and you get up and you put the milk in the fridge and you wash your pump parts and you're just getting yourself used to moving way faster, which I think aids recovery time as well. Um, and so I think the, the weirdest thing is in some regards, it's like a dream. It's like, did that, did that happen? Was I really yeah. pregnant? Because I mean, obviously my, um, I, I hate the term like bounce back, you know, cause you don't really bounce back. You're a different person and that's how it should be. But, you know, I'm still not hundred percent back to the shape and size I was before. So that's kind of the only real reminder that I was pregnant. It's just the different shape of my body now. Yeah. You don't have the, the trophy to go along with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how is the relationship now? Are you, you're the cool aunt. And yeah. I'm using air quotes. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, they, they call me Auntie Allison. Aww. And um, like I said, we're friends on Facebook and Instagram. So I can see updates constantly um, if I want to. I've seen them in person once. They came to visit us when they were around two weeks old. Um, and then actually I'm going to try to go see them, uh, next weekend, we're going to be at the IIDA design awards in Charlotte. So I'm going to try to pop over and see them for lunch while we're in town. So Uh, how does um, that feel? Do you feel any connection to the babies? Does it feel weird? Does it really truly feel like you're just an aunt? Um, it feels like you're an aunt. Like you, you obviously care for the babies the same way you would your niece or nephew or your best friend's child or a kid you babysit, but you know, it's not yours. Um, and so I've, I've never had any issues. Uh, all, a lot of good surrogates say you're not giving your baby away. You're giving their baby back. Cause yeah. it's, it's not mine. It never was mine. Um, I had one really emotional day with just pregnancy hormones leaving the body. And that was really hard, but that was, it was entirely hormonal. Like the things that bothered me that day did not bother me before or since. And, you know. Okay. So postpartum wise, that was your only hormonal Mm -hmm. dip. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you felt pretty good about hormones and and that little piece of it. Yeah. But I mean, it it was like, I was literally like sobbing in the shower, contemplating getting a dog because I was like, no one's going to love me. And she was like, do not get a dog. (laughs) We're not getting a dog right now. Um, do you think the hormones were strong? I've told this to Haley, you know, I just, you know, everything was double with the twins and I felt like the hormones came double. Like, I just felt like it was more for me. And so I just didn't know when you said that about, was it any different than your other pregnancies? It's really hard to compare because it was potentially more hormones, but I didn't have the baby to focus on. So like, was it hard because it was double or was it hard just because I didn't have any anything to channel that energy. Um, right. and I think in general, it, it seemed about the same. Um, the worst part with the hormones, honestly, was my pregnancy acne was out of control. <laughs> um, 
and plus because like I was wearing masks at the office and yeah. had the hormones and I couldn't take the medication I normally take to keep my skin clear and it was just a hot mess right. so thank god I've seen my dermatologist since then yeah <laughs> you look great you look like it never happened thank you so the itch is scratched you mm-hmm. feel like you did your mission in life mm-hmm. and you'll never do it again nope um but you're glad you did it I'm glad I did it uh actually my doctor told me after the babies were born he's like yeah you should not carry again like your your uterus is oh yeah the paper thin thing Mm -hmm. yeah that's important (laughs) and honestly if he'd said that during the c-section I would have just had him take it out like just do a hysterectomy but because he didn't say anything until after the surgery was over I was like I'm not trying to have a another surgery um because my mom actually had a hysterectomy several summers ago so I've seen what that's like in terms of recovery and it's not I mean compared to a, a c-section it's not bad but I still don't want to do it right so yeah well this has been super interesting and enlightening even me hearing it for the second time I just can't believe you did all that and it feels like a blink like it just feels like yeah I guess all of 2020 kind of felt like a blink but and yeah it was really interesting you know because I wasn't seeing anybody other than my coworkers. you know we weren't seeing reps we weren't going to events um, I was doing an event with uh, Renee, our Mohawk rep, and I was at home on Zoom and I stood up to get something and she was like, what is that? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm pregnant and it's twins. And she's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you haven't seen me in, you know, nine months. So surprise. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Haley yeah. said it was a good story and it really is. I think this is and yeah wow thanks for sharing yeah I'm definitely an open book I like I said I'm a birth story junkie I will tell you I will tell a perfect stranger about my cervix so yeah um, I love this me too I I don't know what it is obviously I couldn't care less before I was going through it myself but once I got pregnant I couldn't hear enough stories and I Mm -hmm. didn't know if that was Mm -hmm. just because I was pregnant but it turns out it's not. I even now just love knowing how it all went down for everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. cause it's also different. And like Danielle said, certain things happen for a reason and you don't find out until they happen. And I, it's just so yeah. cool. And science is so cool. The whole thing is just very yeah fascinating how it, it gets done. And now there's two happy dads and two yeah. happy kiddos. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So how old are they now? They were see they're four months and two days oh wow oh Mm -hmm. time to the day yeah all right well thank you so much for your time this was awesome and i have a instagram account specifically for the surrogacy if you want to drop that in the show notes i'm happy to share that yeah absolutely for anyone who's interested cool well thanks so much this was fun nice to see you you.